Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, we welcome the impending return of the biggest show in Canada. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. This week, the road to the Oscars takes us to the zone of interest. And two great detective shows ended this week. We'll take a look back at True Detective and Monsieur Spade. And there's an exciting new show on Netflix that hopes to wash away the stink of its previous live-action film adaptation. And I got a sneak peek. But first, it is the return of the biggest show in Canada this week, Survivor. Since I got the first call, I was so excited. I know tens of thousands of people applied. And I always said, I'm going to be on that show one day. I'm going to do it. Oh, there we are. What's happening, baby? Good morning. Stop. for this show. I'm perfect for this game. I want this so bad. I can outwit anybody. My, I got a four-year-old. As I always say, stay positive, test negative. See y'all soon. <laughs> what the hell is this? <laughs> Damn, Who will have what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast all the rest. I thought about it and I was like, I should apply, I could do this. And now I'm here doing it. I'm doing it. We're doing it! <laughs> Survivor 46, this February. Specifically, this February 28th on Global, which is next Wednesday, the premiere of Survivor 46. I haven't looked at any of the player bios. I never do ahead of time. Clearly, though, somebody's got a uh, very loud cackling laugh. I guess well, that sounds like something that's going to get on my nerves real quick if they don't get voted out soon, but we'll see. Um, as far as the game mechanics go for Survivor 46, it's 26 Island Days again, the shorter version that they've been doing since the pandemic. 18 players with three tribes to start. Um, they threw in some fun wrinkles the last season as far as how to activate advantages and things like that. We'll see what's stuck or maybe what new ideas they've come up with. I think it's very much to Survivor's credit that the game is flexible like that. You know, after the first bunch of seasons, they realized they needed to freshen things up to keep it interesting for us, the audience. And also a large part of that was to keep the players from being able to get too ahead of the system because it did get kind of monotonous some seasons when one tribe would dominate and you'd have five straight episodes of the other tribe having to boot somebody. That said, how wild would it be for them to do an original rules season again? No hidden immunity idols, no advantages, no final four fire making, just two tribes of nine and straight tribal councils where everybody's fair game. I think that'd be fun, although you do wonder if it would be a little boring uh, for some of the other reasons that it got a little boring uh, about 10, F 10 seasons in. But uh, no, it's uh, been a fun ride with Survivor. I can't believe it's at 46 already and back this Wednesday. Looking forward to it, Brett. I wonder if the players who won Survivor when it was easy 39 days yeah if they look at the people who've won in during these shorter seasons as like you don't deserve that exactly yeah i'm uh, <laughs> i'm just looking at a at a, an article here at ew.com entertainment weekly survivor 46 players predict a season of explosions and arguments people are going to get spicy this season says one contestant and i guess they spoke to EW spoke to all the the entire cast just days before filming began out in Fiji and asked for some predictions and one of the cast members says quote I feel like the last couple seasons have been really calm yeah. real kumbaya 
I feel like there's going to be some tussling this season. I feel like there's going to be some arguments. There's going to be some people butting heads. I feel like people are going to get spicy this season. I hope I'm not one of those people, but I definitely would love to sit back and drink a little coconut water and watch other people go at it. So I'm happy that some of the to hear that the contestants are at least thinking about the fact that the, 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 like the, just the way that the show has evolved is it's really interesting how it used to be more cutthroat and now it really like the the kumbaya thing. I know they're still strategizing and there are yeah. the, the people will still slit your throat, but there is a lot. There's way more supportive, like to the point where the the final tribal council has very few fireworks, if any, now. The, nobody takes anything personally anymore. Yeah. Right? So they get booted out, and they're sad that they get booted out, but it, they don't feel like six people like betrayed their very soul or something like that. It's just <laughs> like, well, I lost a game show, essentially. Too bad. <laughs> and, and what's funny, as, as I think about what I just said... I used to complain about that all the time. I know. Why are you why are you so emotional when they when the jury would like go Just, after the contestants some with guy so that, much anger? Yeah, there'd be some guy that'd been sitting on the bench there for like three w- months of showtime or something like that, and, and he'd just be just bitter as hell at the end. It's like, why are you this mad this far down the road? You were like the sixth person voted out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you get to spend your time in a tropical island yeah. and actually eat. You know, the, the, yeah, exactly. if anything, that's the, that's got to be the benefit of being tossed out of there. Sleep in a bed. Yeah, yeah, and enjoy a nice Shower. little tropical vacation. So, <laughs> but yeah, super excited for Survivor Forty Six because this is a show that really. Okay, I, I never did see the first three seasons. I feel like I should find a way to do that. Africa, the third season had. I don't think it was a very good season of Survivor playing, but. It had some really weird people on there that were fun to watch. Yeah, and uh, that that just that whole setup looked just so bizarre and quite frankly scary. Because weren't they in the middle? Like, yep. weren't they surrounded by wildlife? Yep, you could hear lions outside their gates at night. They they had like <laughs> this bunch of bramble tumbleweeds in a ring around their ca- like eight feet tall or whatever. So. But you'd still look at it and was like, I think if a lion really wanted to get in there, they could get in there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I started in season four. And I think I dropped out for two or three seasons towards season 20. It was season 20 when I rejoined. It was hero, the Heroes versus Villains season. When, okay. And that was its first HD season. So I thought, ah, I got to come back. And as soon as I came back, it felt like just putting on an old glove felt perfect. And But since then, haven't missed any seasons outright. I did quit one season halfway through because all the people I liked were gone. Oh, yeah. and not not that I hated the people who were left. I was just bored. I was like, "You guys are you're boring. Why are you boring me?" <laughs> so I quit. I have. I will say, in the last few seasons, there's probably a couple episodes each season that I uh, speed watch, which is I sort of get the gist of the who's going to try to make a move or whatever at camp, and then I fast forward through all the challenges and <laughs> all the <this laughs> stuff like that, and then I stop for a bit during the. Uh, I watch the after the segment after the challenge, but before the tribal council, when most of the actual gameplay happens, I'll watch that and then fast forward through the tribal council. Unless I see a bunch of people standing up or screaming at each other, then I'll be like, wait, hey, what's going on here? All right. So Survivor 46 premieres Wednesday, February 28th. And if you are into the unscripted shows, just a heads up that if you're looking forward to Big Brother Canada, uh, that makes its debut in early March. 
Coming up next, I want to tell you about a show that I got a sneak peek at on Netflix. It's an adaptation of a really popular property that was not very well adapted on the big screen. How's it doing live action wise on your home screen? You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes, and there is something exciting that debuted on Netflix this week. The Fire Nation is embarked on a dark path. And the world might never recover. The world needs the Avatar. It needs you, Aang. No, we're not talking about a new Avatar movie from James Cameron. We're talking about Avatar The Last Airbender. It arrived on Netflix on Thursday, February 22nd. I've seen a couple of the episodes, and I'll tell you what I think in a moment. But first, Avatar is a fantasy show. So if you like things like the recent Percy Jackson and the Olympians on Disney+, Plus, or the darker and more mature Shadow and Bone on Netflix, then you might get a kick out of this. What is Avatar? Well, it started as a cartoon on Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon! You remember those ads? Nickelodeon! Yeah, that was fun. Was that Jack Black who did that? I feel it's I can picture him doing it. I don't know if it actually was him. It sounds <laughs> okay. like something he'd say though. We dug that out. For, that's like ten years old at least, maybe fifteen. Anyway, sorry. Uh, so it ran on Nickelodeon for three seasons from 2005 to 2008, and it was a big hit. A live-action film was adapted in 2010 by M. Night Shyamalan, and it was terrible. Did you ever see it? I've never seen it. I've listened to podcasts about how bad it was, but I've never seen it. Yeah, it was awful, and it was one of those movies that tried to cat- capitalize on Avatar's success with the 3D, so they did a hack job 3D conversion, and it was brutal. Um, But now we have this live action series on Netflix, and this first season is eight episodes. As for what it's about, I'll let Wikipedia tell you here because I might screw it up or get it wrong. So here's uh, mostly a quote from Wikipedia. Avatar is set in an Asian and Arctic-inspired world in which some people can telekinetically manipulate one of the four elements, water, earth, fire, or air, through practices known as bending, inspired by Chinese martial arts. The only individual who can bend all four elements, the Avatar, is responsible for maintaining harmony among the world's four nations and serves as the link between the physical world and the spirit world. The series is centered around the journey of Aang, a boy from the Air Nomads who is the current avatar, and we also follow his friends as they strive to end the Fire Nation's war against the other nations and defeat the Fire Lord before he conquers the world. Aang, you must master the avatar state. It can be the ultimate weapon. Or it can save your life. Everyone is counting on me. Am I supposed to save the world if I don't know what I'm doing? But imagine what'll happen if you don't even try. So the extended Avatar franchise also includes an ongoing comic series, a prequel novel series, and an animated sequel series. If you want to watch the original series, it's on Netflix and Paramount+. And if you want to watch the crappy movie from 2010, it's on Paramount+. As for this new Netflix series, I was able to sneak preview some of this. I watched the first two episodes, and so far, it's lots of fun. It looks 
gorgeous, like visually stunning with beautiful landscapes and sets and costumes and the visual effects are solid. And it gets off to a raucous start, like within the first three minutes, even if you knew nothing about that show, like you were just flipping around and said, okay, I'll try this. It's easy to follow immediately what's happening with an earthbender running from some firebenders and the earth guy can do do some pretty cool stuff like he puts his hand on the ground and he can pull a wall of rock right out of the ground and then break it into a million pieces and launch those little pieces like bullets the fire guys meanwhile they're pretty scary because you know fire like they all basically have the powers of the human torch minus being entirely on fire. Like, they can create fire out of thin air and throw it, and they can even shoot it out of their hands to make them fly. Uh, So they are menacing individuals. The cast includes some familiar faces. Daniel Day Kim is the Fire Lord. Ken Lung is Commander Zhao. Paul Sun Hyung Lee from Canada plays a retired Fire Nation general. And the Avatar is played by, as we like to say, some kid. The actor's name is Gordon Cormier, by the way, also from Canada. And I think he's actually one of the weaknesses of the show so far. To be fair, he's only 14. But I mentioned that Percy Jackson show, the actor who played Percy Jackson, Walker Scobell, just turned 15. And he was fantastic in that show. So, I mean, Cormier isn't terrible. He's just not the best so far. Like his portrayal of Aang is kind of silly and whiny at times. But... Maybe it's unfair of me to make such an assessment because I've only seen 25% of the series and maybe that's how he's being directed. I don't know. But I've just thought he's he's not landing, sticking the landing so far for me. And uh, it doesn't have the best numbers on Rotten Tomatoes. 59% from critics, 79% from the audience. Overall, though, I rather enjoyed the first two episodes. Show's clunky at times, but it's entertaining enough to keep me going if for no other reason than the mesmerizing visuals. The world needs you. Remember what it is we're really fighting for. The ones we love. I'm the Avatar, and I'm going to save the world. With my friends. So that's a show that's just begun on Netflix, Thursday, February 22nd. To a show that Jeff mentioned earlier that has come to an end, True Detective Night Country. I'm working on this new case. A missing scientist. Found on the edge of the villages. Frozen solid. What do you want? It's been six years. Why are you here? That's good enough. We'll leave that clip there. But True Detective Night Country, six episodes, co-starring Jodie Foster, set in Ennis, Alaska. And um, I'm trying to figure out like what I think. I don't, I don't know exactly what I thought of the finale. What did you think? <laughs> uh, I didn't mind it. I, I thought overall the show could have used a couple more episodes just to flesh out some of the characters a bit more and to flesh out the story a bit more. I did like the finale well enough. I thought it answered enough of the basic mystery and then some of the stuff that it left vague uh, was stuff I didn't mind it leaving vague. Um, and I also think, again, I say this every time we talk about a finale, that we put it too much stock into finales. But with mystery shows like this, the ending you know matters a lot more than a regular drama type show like the end of this is us or something like that yeah um and i barely remember anything about the previous seasons of true detective so um i did catch a couple of nods the first season though the guy screaming time is a flat circle that yeah. sort of thing that was fun and then the thing in the finale with there's a 
a scene with a group of women, which I enjoyed very much. I liked that that's how that part of the show ended up going. I thought that was just very satisfying for me. Again, though, I mean, some more flashbacks or honest discussions about the past relationship between the Jodie Foster and Callie Reese characters, the two leads, that would have been helpful. I think I was still kind of confused about why they felt the way they did with each other. Um, and as we talked about after the premiere episode, I really love the setting, just the rural Alaska and all the darkness. It was, it was, you know, something different from what you usually see on TV, and I enjoyed that part of it as well. So overall, I thought it was a pretty good season. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the season for the most part, and I, I didn't mind the finale. I just, I don't know, I feel disappointed, and I'm not entirely sure why. And I figure if I sit down and read some reviews and articles, maybe that'll give me some more insight. But the problem is I don't know that I care enough to yeah. even bother making that effort. And I would also point out that throughout the, the season, there were a lot of people complaining, oh, it's a true detective show. Why does this have so many supernatural tones? And I, I like when they wrote the story, true detective wasn't part of the equation. I think no. they looked at it and said, oh, you know what, let's make this true detective. So I think by slapping the true detective brand on it, kind of helped give it some notoriety, but also hurt it because it changed people's expectations. Yeah. But maybe the show never would have gotten a green light without it, so I don't know. Anyway, that's one detective show. We'll hear about the other detective show that Jeff enjoyed. Next, you're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett, and True Detective was not the only short detective series to wrap up this week. AMC's Monsieur Spade, starring Clive Owen, also had its finale. We have all heard the stories. What a tough guy you once were. I wonder, are they true stories? No one cares about that Sam Spade anymore. How do you do, Mr. Spade? Hello, Mr. Spade. How do, Mr. Spade? Je m'appelle Samuel Spade. The Monsieur Spade of the title is Clive Owen's character, Sam Spade, and if that name is familiar, it's because it's the same character that Humphrey Bogart played in the film noir classic The Maltese Falcon in the 1940s. Both that movie and this series are based on characters created by Dashiell Hammett's books and short stories, so it's old, really old intellectual property, and as we all know, Hollywood will do whatever it can to avoid coming up with something original. <laughs> And try to milk any previously known entity for all it's worth. Sometimes they go back 40 years and we get a Transformers movie. Sometimes they go back almost a century and we get this Sam Spade series. As for the show itself, I thought it was great. It comes to us from Scott Frank and Tom Fantana, both of whom have impressive resumes. Fantana's been in TV forever, going back to St. Elsewhere. And Scott Frank is one of the best writers out there. He wrote Logan, Minority Report, Out of Sight, Marley and Me, among many other movies. He also created The Queen's Gambit a couple of years ago. It was a very popular show and now they teamed up for this private eye sam spade rolls into the south of france in 1955 uh, looking to deliver a young girl to her father following the death of her mother that doesn't really work out as intended as the father is nowhere to be found and so the girl is sent to an orphanage at a convent spade meantime falls in love with a lady in the area and retires in the same community that was the intro and then the series is actually set eight years later in the 60s as uh, pi fedora has been retired in favor of a more relaxed european sense of style befitting the times but when push comes to shove he is still a private investigator and a bunch of stuff is about to hit the little town there's mystery and murder and drama clues and killers everything you'd expect that's uh, some sleek style some very good writing these uh, kind of rat-a-tat noirish dialogue but also uh, the writing as far as the story structure and the way it unfolds is very satisfying, I thought. 
found it actually quite gripping, and Clive Owen was just perfect for it. I've always been a big fan of his. Uh, he was on the show The Nick for several years recently, and I couldn't watch that show because it was too gross because uh, it had all this old-timey surgery in it. He was a doctor. So uh, it's been nice to see him in this, and then a couple of months ago he was in A Murder at the End of the World. Lots of Clive Owen these days. There's quite a bit of French in Monsieur Spade, as you may expect, so it's been a mix of listening and reading subtitles. And being a small town, we sort of get a lot of the locals involved and learn about some of their lives and the part they play in the overall story. I'd be lying if I said it didn't get a little confusing at times. It's pretty complex. There are a lot of characters, and it felt like every episode they were just adding more characters. And I I don't necessarily think the show mishandled it. I just think it was a lot. And I also know that I am sometimes a bad watcher, and I'll realize at, like, episode three of something that, oh, wow, I really need to pay more attention to character names, which was, well, you know, that got me a couple of times watching this. Of course, you can, you know, watching a TV show, you can hit pause, Google the name and see what actor's face pops up if they're talking about somebody you're not sure who. Although if you're behind and catching up, Googling can be, you know, a spoiler minefield. But it all worked out and the finale this past week tied enough things together to be satisfying. I thought there's been you know, a lot of good mystery and cop shows over the last few months, and they've all had their own thing going for them now. So it's been Fargo, Reacher, True Detective, and now this. Just boon times for fans of the genre. And this was great for fans of Clive Owen. Hopefully we get to see more of him in good shows and movies in the next few years. So I'm going to give Monsieur Spade four couch cushions out of five. It was on AMC. It's on their streaming service, AMC Plus, if you want to watch, and I highly recommend it. All right. So in a moment, Jeff is going to tell you that he's completed yes. his Oscar collection for 2024. He has run the gauntlet. But first, let's tell you what's new at the movies this weekend. Starting with something from the Coen Brothers. <gasps> well, ah, Coen oh. Brother. It's called Drive Away Dolls. The case. The case. The case. What? Those girls inadvertently took something that belongs to us. I just want to know what's going on. I bet it's locked. We got to call the cops. Cool your bits. Here's what we do. We're going to take them down. Take them for all they got. Hand over to the million smackers. Who are you? Democrats. Drivery Dolls. Rated R. Only in theaters this Friday. All right, so this was written by Ethan Cohen and Trisha Cook, and it's a comedy caper about Jamie, who is described as an uninhibited free spirit, bemoaning yet another breakup with a girlfriend, and her demure friend Marion, who desperately needs to loosen up in search of a fresh start. The two embark on an impromptu road trip to Tallahassee, but things quickly go awry when they cross paths with a group of inept criminals along the way. So this one's also directed by Ethan Cohen. The cast is led by two relative unknowns, Margaret Qualley, who's been in a few things, including Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Geraldine Viswanathan, who most notably was in the comedy Blockers a few years back, which was a film I quite enjoyed, and she was terrific in that. And the supporting cast includes the likes of Matt Damon, Pedro Pascal, Coleman Domingo, and many more. So, I don't know, man. I just saw this trailer for the first time a couple of weeks ago and thought, that looks wacky. Yeah. No, the Coen brothers do wacky very well. Raising Arizona, Burn After Reading, of uh, The Big Lebowski, and yeah. Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? So, I'm very much looking forward to it. I saw the poster last week at the theater, and I was like, what? 
one of the Coen brothers has a movie. I didn't even know it. Uh, Joel Coen, the other brother, had the Macbeth movie a couple years ago with Denzel Washington, mm. all in black and white and probably in Latin or something. I don't know. I didn't watch it because <laughs> I was like, I love the Coen brothers, but that looks like homework. So no. Uh, but this I'm excited for. I got tickets to this already. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Also new in theaters this week, Hillary Swank and Alan Richson. Star in Ordinary Angels. I've read about your family and I wanted to help. I'm not comfortable with this. You're going to have to get comfortable being uncomfortable because this is about your little girl. She's five and he's a liver transplant. On February 23rd. You're asking us to reduce the family's medical bills. I'm asking you to erase them. <laughs> Was that funny? Make a choice to make a difference. We all need to find meaning outside ourselves. I appreciate everything you've done. I'm good at plenty of things. Taking no for an answer ain't one of them. Ordinary Angels. Rated PG. Only in theaters February 23rd. All right, so based on, the description reads, based on a remarkable true story, Ordinary Angels centers on Sharon Steves, played by Hilary Swank, a fierce but struggling hairdresser in a small town Kentucky, who discovers a renewed sense of purpose when she meets Ed Schmidt, who is played by Al, Alan Ritson, who is a widower working hard to make ends meet for his two daughters. With his youngest daughter waiting for a liver transplant, Sharon sets her mind to helping the family and will move mountains to do it. And what unfolds is the inspiring tale of faith, everyday miracles, and ordinary angels. Do you know that I think I may have seen her while they were shooting this movie? What? They shot it here in Winnipeg, where we are, part of it anyways. I don't know if the whole thing. And I was walking on a trail by my house, and I saw a lady that looked an awful lot like Hillary Swank, and I knew she was in town. And way, this was way out on the far edge of the city, though, in the suburbs. And I thought, well, she's shooting a movie here. Well, maybe she, I was like, there's no hotels near here, so why would she be out here, right? This part of the city. Then I thought, well, she's here for a couple months. They'd probably give her rent a house and, or something for her. And so she very well could be in this neighborhood. Huh. And she was with somebody, and she gave me the look that I thought was like, this guy knows who I am. I hope he doesn't talk to me, kind of a th that kind of a look. And I didn't talk to her. So I was like, oh, I think that might have actually been her. Oh, that's neat. But it could have just been a lady in Winnipeg that sort of looks like Hillary Swank. And <laughs> just thought you were a creep. <laughs> He's like, don't look at me, creep. Why is that guy staring at me so much? <laughs> Can tell you, by the way, that as of this recording on Thursday afternoon, Driveway Dolls is at 72% and Ordinary Angels 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. And now you did it. You, you completed the checklist for the Oscars. Yes, I got to cross the last movie off my list this week. I saw The Zone of Interest, so I'm 10 for 10 on the Best Picture nominees. I don't have a clip because this movie is in German and most of the advertising has no dialogue because a lot of times when they're advertising movies to North American audiences and they're in a foreign language, they just don't put any dialogue in the movies to try and trick at least a few people into paying money to see it when they don't know what language it's in. Now, it's nominated for five Oscars, Best Picture, Best Director for John. Jonathan Glazer, Best International Feature Film for the UK, Best Sound, and Best Screenplay. So an international film from Britain, but like I said, it is all in German with subtitles. And that, of course, is because it's set at Auschwitz concentration camp during World War II. Technically, it's set outside Auschwitz, and I mean right outside. It's about the family life of the commandant who runs the prison, and their house is right beside it. One of the walls of the camp runs along their back garden. Uh, it's kind of a wild 
wild premise, but I assume it actually was the case. And the movie is about the family going through family things while living in the shadow of one of the greatest atrocities ever perpetrated by man, uh, atrocities they are directly involved in. This is obviously not a fun, happy movie. I will also say it's not a brutally sad movie in the way, you know, many other Holocaust movies are, like Schindler's List. Um, by the way, The Hollywood Reporter has an excellent oral history out now about the making of Schindler's List, 30th anniversary year. Uh, and Steven Spielberg says the zone of interest is the best movie about the Holocaust since his movie. So Spielberg likes this one. Of course, it's disturbing. Of course, it is sickening. But there's nothing graphic shown on screen, and they never show us the other side of that wall. But we hear it. I mentioned sound is one of the categories for which the zone of interest is nominated. And everyone actually seems to think it's going to win that one. The sound design is a huge part of the movie because as we're watching the mom, for example, tending to her garden, we hear the gross machinery of Auschwitz humming in the background. We also see thick plumes of smoke and ash. Uh, we hear gunshots and screams from time to time. We know what's going on. And the family is seemingly unaffected. The kids, of course, wouldn't know any different. And the dad is obviously a Nazi, so you expect him to be the way he is. But the mom is kind of the eye-opener. She's played by Sandra Huller, who a year ago was an actress I'd never heard of before. But she's in two of the Best Picture nominees this year. She is in the Best Actress uh, nomination for herself for the movie Anatomy of a Fall. And while she does a lot of motherly stuff, she, you know, also married a Nazi and is clearly on board with them in their outlook on the world, which, of course, was beyond despicable. The whole movie is just kind of trying to reconcile how do you live a normal life with the Holocaust happening in your backyard, which is a great question and can be extrapolated from the very literal, in this case, to a larger society. And you know, how do you go about your daily life while these horrible things are happening? And specifically with these people, how can you go about your daily life while you're actively perpetrating these horrible things? And it's the sort of thing that sadly, you know, can also always be easily connected to any time period, uh, metaphorically. The horror is just the banality of the existence of these this Nazi family, the mundane home life against the background of the unspeakable atrocities. It's an odd movie. It's an experience. It's obviously not going to be for everyone. But if you want something very different, something challenging, something to think about, it is effective. It's incredibly well made. It's worth seeing in theaters for the sound, like I mentioned, and frankly to be able to give your you know full attention to it. I know when I'm watching something at home, even if it's something I'm really engaged in, I'll still it'll always take at least an extra half hour to watch because of me stopping to look at my phone. And with something like this, it would take even longer because, you know, it is a bummer and it's just more easily to distract yourself with something fun but I would say absolutely go see it. The Zone of Interest, it's in limited release. Uh, you might have to hunt for it, or there might not be a ton of screenings wherever you are uh, for it, so you might have to really adjust your schedule to fit it in. I would do, like I say, highly suggest the big screen treatment for this movie. Four couch cushions out of five for The Zone of Interest, Brett. All right, up next, want to follow up on something that Jeff reviewed last week, because based on his scintillating recommendation... I checked it out, and uh -oh. I can concur Yay! with Mr. Braun's assessment. And I got to tell you how Sofia Vergara has sort of like reinvented herself and has knocked it out of the park. You are listening to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes, and I just want to add my two cents and something that Jeff gave a really great review on last week, and that's the documentary that's on Netflix, the We Are the World documentary, The Greatest Night in Pop. One, two. We are the world. We are the children. The greatest artists of a generation came together to save some lives. Must be in a dream, huh? Hello, hello. 
but we only had one night to get this right. Let's get this party started. So, Jeff, based on your review last week, I got really excited about this because I'd heard about it, and yeah. but I, I don't know. I, I don't ever feel like an urgency to watch documentaries. It's not that I don't like them. I just yeah, yeah. don't watch a lot of documentaries. But after you talked about it and how excited, just brimming with excitement about this, I thought, yeah, I should check that out. And like my expectations were suddenly through the roof, and they were still exceeded. And I think it was just, you know, it was such a, uh, it was exciting to the it's basically like the the quintessential time capsule of exactly. the 80s. Yeah. And all those people in the prime of their careers. Yeah, and like that so that was like revisiting all of the music and musicians of my childhood. So I just think it's extraordinary. So thank you for making sure that landed on my radar. So if you have Netflix, you need to watch The Greatest Night in Pop, the We Are the World documentary. And I also wanted to touch on another show that's on Netflix. It's called Griselda. For the last three years, Griselda Blanco has owned Miami, distributing cocaine. Ms. Blanco's operation has been efficient, deadly, and incredibly successful. Let's get to work. So Griselda is a six-episode limited series on Netflix about the real-life person Griselda Blanco, who started a coke empire in Miami uh, to the point where the the series opens with a quote from Pablo Escobar, famed drug lord, who says, the only man I've ever been afraid of is a woman named Griselda Blanco. And Sofia Vergara, what a home run performance from her. Like we've known her for years, predominantly as a comedic actor, a very funny comedic actor who is also beautiful and sexy and glamorous and all of that and then she shows up in this and they've they've she's, she appears to be wearing some prosthetics because they've made her look a bit harder you know a bit grittier I mean she's had a she's lived a tough life she's lived in the criminal life but she is like a, the the performance that she gives is at times soft because she's a mom and and caring and nurturing, but also horrifying. Like, she is scary as this Griselda Blanco. Uh, so I loved it. Highly recommended. Six episodes. It's on Netflix. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.